Take your balloons to the next level as we delve deeper into what truly makes a professional balloon artist with your host, Zivi Kivi. Now, welcome to the Balloon Artist Podcast. Hello, Balloon Artist Podcast Nation. What's up? Zivi Kivi here. And today, this is a very special episode in season nine because I get to interview Dave Bren. Dave Brent from Kansas City, Missouri, has been around in this industry. He's been my personal hero. I'm a personal patron of him. I, I just adore what you do, Dave. And today, we're doing this really different interview where like you interviewed me last week or so for your show, for the Dave Brent Show on YouTube. And then right now, I interview you for the Balloon Artist Podcast. But we also did like a behind-the-scene walkthrough and shown people what it means to create a YouTube show and what it means to create a podcast. Before we go into your situation in Balloonland and what you feel about the state of affairs, why create a show? That's a great question. Why create a show? In reality, I have been constantly creating shows, right? My entire career, everything has been about what is the next show. I even think of just my regular balloon twisting gig as that's I'm going to do a show. Right now, my hand is a little bit forced. I don't have any other choice but to... My whole career was built on other people hiring me to come to their event to make a show. Those events are not here anymore. So I have to make my own show. I have to make my own stage. One thing I know about myself is I'm not comfortable interfacing with the world at large unless I have the definition of a stage and almost feeling like even though I made the stage, at least I feel like I'm supposed to be there and I'm supposed to be talking right now. And it, it kind of just releases all the tension of, I just want to talk and I need a stage to do it. In your shows, you know, prior to the pandemic, you've been performing in all sorts of stages from convention stages through huge stages, even in China, in, in projects with Guido Verhoff and all sorts of in-betweens. Can you share with us a story of a few stages that made you feel very proud about your accomplishments? Yeah, sure. I think the proudest I ever felt about, I guess, about my competence as a performer, which is a very specific area of fear and anxiety. That's, that's where imposter syndrome really leaks in, right? Where you can pick out all the holes in what it is that you do. And it's easy to get lost in the mistakes when you don't have big feelings of accomplishment. So the biggest feeling of accomplishment I had was the first time I performed out of the country. This was in 2013, I think, or 14, when it was the first time I performed in Japan. And I went into it knowing that I was not going to be able to speak in my show. Up to this point, all of my performances that I had ever done heavily relied on me being able to communicate what it is that I'm doing to my audience with words. And this was the first time I was put in a scenario where I just had to really be completely nonverbal. And it required a complete rewrite of my show. I had to completely design a brand new show. I had to learn... I had already been experimenting and exploring slapstick comedy and nonverbal humor kind of throughout my career. 
as an accessory to being a clown and a performer. But this was a scenario where I needed only that. That's all I had to work with. What can I tell people with my face and my body? And it was an interesting experience of learning both what does it take to be a nonverbal performer, just in general, but then the more specifics of it that were deeply interesting to me as like a scientist of my own brain and a scientist of my process was learning the specifics about nonverbal communication in a certain culture, which are different. So there are certain things that mean different things. A very kind of concrete example to give for Japan is you can't invite someone by doing this motion. You have to flip your hand over and invite them like this. This is a different, these mean different things. I don't know if that's actually similar in Israel or not, if they have different kinds of things. But in general, not with this. Yeah. And there are lots of things like that. Head motions, for example, we assume that this means yes and this means no, but that's not always the case in all cultures. And so there are subtle things that you have to learn and imply to your craft. And I just got a, a really good feeling of my competence in that audience. I also got a hilarious story out of the deal, which was <laughs> even though I felt very confident in my nonverbal performance, we were, our handler at the event, our, we had a Japanese handler that took us to where we needed to be and was doing all the communication with people there that we needed. And at some point during one of our performances, I noticed that he started talking over what we were doing. And I thought that it wasn't clear. Like I was a little concerned. I was like, oh, I was doing all of this stuff to like make what I'm doing clear non-verbally. And he seems to be like saying what it is that we're doing. And I went up to him and I said, what were you saying? And he says, oh, I was just narrating what you're doing because that's just also, that is a part of the culture is that even if you can clearly see it, that is a thing that will happen is things will, nonverbal things will still be narrated as a means of making the audience feel comfortable which was just like, it was just so weird. Very strange experience, wow. but anyway. <laughs> wow. So that was uh, one important stage. And I want to remind you of another accomplishment, uh, another stage you've been performing on, which I think from, at least from someone that has been looking at your journey for a few years' time, performing in Disney mm. was a, a milestone where you really took your skills to yet another new level. What do you think about that? That it was definitely the most important gig in terms of my personal growth as a performer. Wow. So the, that was the first gig I have ever had in my career where on multiple days per week, I had four shows back to back. There was, it was a 30-minute show, a 30-minute break, and a 30-minute show. Boom, boom, boom. Four shows back to back. One day, four different audiences would come through. I have, throughout my entire career, the biggest struggle has always been finishing up with a gig, finishing up with a show. You're in the car afterwards and you're post-gaming everything in your head. Did, how did this go? How did that go? This went, okay, I want to improve this next time or cut this out next time. And unless you're really good about taking notes after every show, if there's even a couple of days distance between that show and the next one, it might as well have never happened. It's just going to go. The only way that that's going to really, that kind of schedule is going to improve your show is just over years and years and years. This was so condensed. And it's even like, I think that short, even 30 minute gap 
has to be that short in between shows. What it forced me to do was a couple of things. One, it forced me to have a show that I could reset instantly. I couldn't have any extra nonsense. I couldn't have all the blue sky production value stuff out the window. That doesn't matter here. This is about making a hard hitting show that I can reset fast. Nothing that happened in that first show had any time to escape my brain. And so as soon as the second show started, I was still, it was like fresh in my head. And what I found is that I was so excited to go and immediately try the new things that were like, okay, now I want to try this. And there's this instant gratification thing. You know, people, I find that I'm a very impulsive person in general. And to have that instant gratification, I can't tell you how many times I've left a gig and immediately have been like, God, I want to go back and do that gig all over again. There are so many things that I could have done better. And this was a condensed, and I had that gig for about a year and a half at Disney. Every single week, some weeks it was one day a week. Most of the time it was two to three days a week. And if you can find anything like that, that's why I don't say it's necessarily a bad thing to go out and find free gigs. If those free gigs are specifically serving you, Mm -hmm. if you have a free gig that allows you to go up and do your thing over and over and over as much as you personally want, then that actually is bringing value to you. Wow. This is something that is, you didn't, you know, stumble upon this gig uh, by accident. You had to audition and you had to build this uh, show and you had to build your reputation for many years. And quite a, an amazing milestone in building your material. I've seen your show before and after Disney, and I've noticed that a complete transformation in your ability to know yourself and to present this archetype, really, of a balloon artist in a show and all of the things that can go wrong or gone right uh, with him. And uh, there are a lot of other balloon shows out there where the prep time is like an hour and a half or two hours. And you will not be able to get better like you did with this marathon of like four shows, one after the other, back to back. If it was like prep work, it will just wear you down. Right. And it's not to say that a show of that scale is like bad, but now I know that if I do go to produce a show like that, it's also going to be backed up by me having an amazing sense of how to present myself on stage. Mm, yeah. So I want to ask you this question, which I never, ever asked before in my show. Ever. Okay. Dave Bren, what did you eat for breakfast today? Hey, actually, you kind of saw me do I'm I'm still consuming my breakfast. So this has actually been a little bit of a problem for me in my life. And it's a thing that I would like to change, eating a little bit of it now. This is a vegan ham and cheese muffin. So it's a savory muffin. It's actually really delicious. But I'm not good at eating breakfast when I, sh- like, first thing in the morning. I feel my stomach always feels a little, like, just off in the morning. I don't know what it is. So it sometimes takes, like, two or three hours before I'll feel comfortable eating something. But by then, my day has started, and I'm right in the middle of something. And it's very easy for me to just like forget about maintaining my physical body because I'm right in the middle of work. And so sometimes like three or four o'clock will roll around and I'll start to feel dizzy. And I'm like, what's going? Oh, I forgot to eat. Mm-hmm. So something that I'm looking for is something that I can put in my 
body as soon as I wake up that won't make me feel slightly nauseous and get my day started. Have you been vegan for a long time? I am not vegan, actually. I'm recreationally vegetarian, meaning I don't cook meat. I don't prepare meat myself when I cook at home, mostly because it's difficult. And, but I will eat meat if I'm out at a restaurant or something and they have a steak option or something like that. So I'm just like, as a, as a general rule, I'm trying to just lower my meat footprint without yeah. really completely cutting it out. But this just happens to be from a really delicious vegan bakery down the street. So Sweet. I want to talk about the gig economy before we wrap up. And just to be like a minute of sober honesty about the current state of affairs. Because uh, it's nice and fun to be nostalgic about our past. But I want to be fair and open here. And like what happened when the pandemic broke in March or so in your life? A little bit, I have to admit that I feel... Well, fortunate, I guess. I had already been moving in a direction that seemed to be pulling me away from live event performing. I wasn't really able to admit or accept that and really go for it full force and say, yes, maybe this is not where my passion is right now. I mean, just to, from a personal standpoint, splitting up with Shayna was like... And I don't want to say this to say, and it's all Shana's fault that I no longer want to do live events. What her and I created together was such a specific product that I cared about. It was the two of us being like an amazing tag team duo. And like creating that product was like a passion. And then I realized that going back to doing it on my own, that passion didn't really exist anymore. And instead of like bemoaning that or thinking, oh, somehow my life is destroyed or whatever. It's like, no, it's not. I'm still here. I still care about myself and what I do. So let's figure out what it is that I'm passionate about doing right now. So I was already on that path and on that trajectory of, I need to find whatever it is that is new. And I don't want to pay, either paint a rosy picture of what my life has been like during pandemic. It has gone through phases of feeling really great and phases of feeling really like dreadfully awful. And that just will continue. There is no way around that. But it did make a choice for me. And the choice was, you can either focus on this path or this path. And the pandemic said, well, this path is closed. So what are your choices? Now, technically, that meant my choices were make something here virtually for the world on the internet or lay in bed all day. That was now my new two choices. Yeah. And I'm not going to sit here and say, that laying in bed all day wasn't a choice I made a lot over the course of the last few months. I made that choice many, many times. It was a choice that I felt like my body was doing to me. I felt completely overwhelmed. I felt incapable of... The biggest thing that hits me is waking up some days and not knowing what it is that I need to do today or even knowing what I should be doing today. And that's the kind of dark place cyclical thinking that I think a scenario like this can send people, is you feel disconnected, you feel unsure about any of the choices that you're going to make, because what are they going to turn into down the road? What is this choice going to become if I don't even know what the world looks like right now? 
and I can only allow myself to get stuck there for so long before I have to pull myself out. Well, if I could send you like a virtual, I'm sending you a virtual hug right now. And if I could hug you, I would. This is really, really tough to know that everything that you do in life to bring value to people cannot be done in the moment or can be done in totally different ways that are not what you signed up for. Like if you signed up for twisting balloons in, in parties, and that is where you are shining, that's how you are a unicorn in this world. And then now like the only way for you to make any, any money is like from selling balloon deliveries or from doing uh, yard art. There's nothing wrong with that. If you wanted to decorate things and make them pretty and, and help people celebrate their special uh, days. But if what you wanted was to entertain and to perform, that part of it is gone for quite a while. Who knows when it will be back and, yeah. and how. It will be maybe back slowly, tricklish thingy. It will be back maybe with a big swoosh, like we don't know. And that is also a part of the problem. Not only you're not providing value, but you also have no clarity about how long will it take. I think it's okay to be in that place of grief, really. Yeah. And don't let... I mean, I know I'm, we all make a good image on social media. And I know this has been said before, but it can't be repeated enough, especially by people like you and I, who do have a really good exciting, positive social media presence. That is not my daily life. I want you to know from my heart, that is not my daily life. That is my business. That is my show. That is the glitz and glamour that I create out of the resources that I have to share something great and positive with you. But it also includes all of the garbage and nonsense that your life includes. And I'm not special. You're not special. We're all suffering a little bit and we're all celebrating a little bit and we just have to find a good balance. I like the line, uh, you're okay. Like, uh, mm. no matter what value you bring, it doesn't matter because you're still okay. You have a right for your feelings and for your needs. And you can find small things that to feel that you are still providing some value to yourself at least or to your family. And it's all about those little things actually to, that builds relationships. But no matter what you do, even if you're not doing anything, if you're not willing even to touch a balloon right now, you're okay. You'll yeah. get through this. We'll get through this together. I want to thank you, Dave Brand. For a long time, you've been a place of comfort for many people that support your uh, visibility, your vulnerability, and, and that support your Patreon. And they get to hang out with you. They get to know what you're going through. And you give them hope because of your honesty and because of your artistic values. And I think that you're really okay, Dave Friend. Thank you. I think you're okay too. Thank you. And uh, guys, if you are okay... We're going to wrap up with this message and please check out the show notes of today's episode on balloonartistpodcast.com because in there you will find a link to Dave Brand's Patreon, which you can actually sign up 
even for as low as 260 or 350 all sorts of very low amount of money that you can decide if you can afford or not. But by supporting the Dave Bren Patreon, you actually get access to so many tutorials and webinar replays of Dave Bren. And these are some of my favorite designs in the world, super stunning designs, as well as wisdom on the field of being a performer, even juggling, right? You can even learn juggling with those webinars. So we'll put that in the show notes. We'll put something special for you guys to listen. If this is an episode that you resonated with, we actually have a lecture about the imposter syndrome and about depression that I think that it's important for you to hear with just ideas of stuff that maybe will help you get through this. And we're here for the long haul. Dave, you always play for the infinity game. You always play for the long haul. I can't wait to see you at the other end of this situation. Thank you again, Dave Bren. And thank you. Thank you everyone for listening to the Blue Artist Podcast. See you next week. Bye-bye.